Well, good morning. And sorry for late notice. I didn't give this much forewarning. It's like 15 minutes or something. I got up and looked at my schedule and just went, this is this is not going to be a time-friendly day. So let's just jump straight into it. Uh, for those of you listening, I am hoodie tied. It is winter now. So let's put this in context. What's winter like here? Um, it is 14 degrees Celsius, which actually felt pretty bloody cold. Mike's there. Uh, can we have a cowbell ring, please? I have to go and get it out of the cupboard <coughs> with all the other valuable paraphernalia, mate. It's uh, it's all up there, but I, I will promise you a cowbell ring another time. So yeah, it's cold. It's cold. Now, um, moving on from that, because I've got a lot of stuff on my list today. A lot of stuff came up this last couple of days. I tweeted something just before, just while I'm waiting for people to join in before I start talking about sponsors and things, about end of financial year. And I'm not sure if, if you're from another part of the world, not Australia, if it's the same sort of thing there. But as we get to the end of the financial year in Australia, which is 30 June, so we pretty much like, well, we don't really split the year in half because our financial year is a full year. But the financial year runs from 1st of July to 30 June. And every time we start getting towards the end of the fin year here, there's just ads everywhere. It's like EOFY, end of financial year, you know, spend big now. And I tweeted just before and I said, look, what, would you buy business related buy uh, that is important to you that you find useful for you know, doing your cyber things or your home office or your productivity or whatever it may be now I did add a tweet immediately after that and somehow someone obviously missed that and then came back and told me what I said in the second tweet which is the reason this is a thing end of financial year is not because it's like magic money somehow it's simply because if I spend a dollar now and it's fully tax deductible, then that comes off my taxable income for the financial year that's about to end. So I get the benefit of that pretty much May next year is when refunds are paid or or bills or actually refunds are paid. Yeah, yeah, they pay refunds or you pay the government back money. If I spend it a month from now, it's going to be May the year after. So all you're really doing is like bringing forward deductibility. So going and just spending money on frivolous shit doesn't really help. What helps is things that you kind of need to spend money on anyway or that kind of makes sense to spend money on and you do it now and you get the benefit of the tax advantages earlier on. So with that said, if you know anything that is useful to buy, let me know. The comments that I have seen are things I have already. They're like, get a good chair, like uh, like a Herman Miller Aeron, which is what I'm sitting on now. And there's another one just there, which... Charlotte sits on when we sit here and we work together. So chairs are good. Uh, what else did I say? Things I already had. Oh, or things like noise-canceling headphones. I do have some good noise-canceling headphones, some Bose QC35s, I think, which I tend to only use when I'm flying anyway because this area is quiet. Um, what else have I been buying lately? I, this is partly why I was talking about a rack-mounted NAS as well. So for people that might have... Seen this during the week, I was saying, look, I've got to redo my backup strategy because I'm getting a lot of data from all the places you'd expect. Uh, what should I go and buy in order to completely rejig my backup strategy? Anyway, what I've decided to do, because I've got two Synology NAS desktop units with a lot of terabytes each, and they've got capacity, but... The things that they back up onto, namely like Western Digital Books, I've got 
one somewhere down there, and the others are like plugged into the NASs downstairs. They're running out of capacity. So what I've decided to do is get a rack-mounted NAS and put in probably about 18 terabytes worth of disk. It'll be two Western Digital Reds, 18 terabytes each, running in running in either RAID or I don't think this particular one can do Synology Hybrid RAID, which allows you to have different disk sizes and things. Anywho, so that will go in, and then the old ones, they'll then become my backup devices, and I can pick that up off-site and have like my own off-site manual backup. So anyway, stuff like that. Uh, what else did we get? We've got Charlotte, Some um, she wanted to mount her monitors on the wall like mine because they're awesome because you clear up all of this desk space. So we bought a couple of monitor arms that will hopefully arrive today. So I'm going to be drilling holes in walls, which is good fun. Uh, and she's got some smaller Elgato key lights as well. So a couple of mounts arrived for those. We get those stands off, everything wall mounted just like looking at my desk now it's so nice <laughs> having stuff wall mounted oh. <clears throat> clear boo button says a usb stick got a lot of those <laughs> actually we were reading about deductibility this morning and uh charlotte's reading the news because it's all in the news at the moment <clears throat> and she says people are asking questions about if you have a home office can you deduct toilet paper and i mentioned that in the context of the usb stick here because Finding tens of dollars is not really the... I would argue for most people, tens of dollars over the course of the financial year for a business deduction in a home office is not really where the bar is. So we're trying to find things of substance here. Opinions in tech says, what do you use for note-taking? A good solution to keep yourself organised, hard to find. I use uh, OneNote. And the, the reason I use OneNote a lot, I'm just... In fact, I'm reading from OneNote for the show notes for today. Is I find OneNote, uh, and I used to use Evernote for years and years and years, and I just started to find it crap in all sorts of ways. Uh, and then they started charging for it as well. But my OneNote syncs to obviously the PC, and then it's on my iPad, and it's on my iPhone, and it's on my other laptop, and then you can share it with other people. So Charlotte's got it, and I just have everything from like my recipes <laughs> through to what I'm going to talk about in my videos there. So OneNote I find is awesome and totally free too. Ivan says, be careful WD Red as they seem our base. Uh, take at least WD Red Pro NAS. So here's one thing that I've learned with hard disks. Whatever disk you think I should get, there will be a chorus of people out there who say never do this. <laughs> now, I had, I had originally put forward on Twitter I was going to get a bunch of Seagates, their NAS drive. And then all of these people are like, oh, I never get Seagate, never get Seagate, it's terrible. And then I went, you know, I'm going to get the WD Reds, and, and the simple reason why is because I've got them all over the place already, and I don't think I've ever had a WD Red fail on me. Touch wood. They've been really good. I will take your advice about the pro on board. <laughs> I'll think about that. Mike says, what's the multimeter about on the desk? It can't detect Aussie broadband speeds. So, all right, here's... The reason this is here is also the reason there's a whole back of CR2032 batteries laying all over the place. It's because all of my little um, temp sensors, my Kera ones, because they're going on two years old, batteries started dying. Now, the reason I've got the multimeter is because as soon as one of these CR2032s drops beneath about three volts, these just go to hell. So what will happen is that they can power on, but then they can't pair so I've just sort of been going around where, where a unit hasn't been working, where it's dropped off home assistant, and I've gone, okay, uh, 
can I repair it? If I can't repair it, is it just because of the voltage is like 2.7 volts or something? Because at least then you can go, okay, that's the problem. Replace the battery. Job done. Um, so, yeah, there you go, mate. That's what the multimeter's for. In fact, I just got that one the other day because my probably decade and a half old one was, uh, was cactus. <coughs> Matthias says, hard this will die. Always just takes time sometimes. I've, I have been very fortunate lately and any device i have that uh that is important that has data on it so i'm thinking my nas devices i've got two uh synology nas's downstairs and also my ubiquity unvr for recording from the cameras any of those devices are all uh in raid so we have redundant discs and i was actually just wondering if i look at my Look at my Unify Protect. What have I got here in terms of hard disks? Um, well, I have serial numbers, but I don't have <laughs> brand. What have I done? They're 12 terabyte disks. I'm pretty sure they're WD Reds. I will, I will double check that. Ivan says the CMR topic is not that controversial. <clears throat> yeah, but the get this brand, not that brand. <laughs> Sometimes I regret asking questions online because you get so many responses. Oh, perfect example. Even though I said I'm looking for something that I can do physical backups on and take them off site, the number of people who are like, just go and back it all up to Backblaze. Like, <laughs> I appreciate you being helpful, but the reason I didn't suggest that is because, first of all, uh, try backing up like 10, 15 plus terabytes worth of data over a 20 megabit up connection. Even my multimeter, I can't fix that, the new one. <laughs> so my connectivity is terrible. And also a lot of it contains data breaches. And just on principle, I'm not putting that stuff up on the cloud. Like once it's processed and done, it's like cold storage, go away somewhere, uh, which is not going to be publicly accessible. Let me go on a sponsor. I've got to do the sponsor before I skip those guys. So sponsor again this week is Collide. Uh, and now a very long term, very regular sponsor Collide. So big thanks to them. Collide enables cross platform fleet visibility for your Linux, Mac and Linux devices 14 day trial you can jump into now. Um, they seem to have been very popular as a sponsor, which is great. So I'm very, very glad it's working for them. Endpoint security for teams that slack. There's really not a lot of teams that don't slack in one way or another now. Message your employees on Slack providing customized security and compliance recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices. Try Collide for free. And as I've always said, I really like to get sponsors to give things away. So please go and check them out. Big thanks to Clyde for helping me how to figure out how to spend my pre-tax dollars to reduce my <laughs> tax in the 2022 fin year. Matthias says, is there anything new on Avo? No, I have heard nothing more from Avo. Absolute complete radio silence. As best I know, they have never disclosed to their customers. They have literally just made the whole thing go away. So I suspect that short of one of their customers actually making an issue out of this, and there were a lot of them, short of that, I just don't think anything's going to happen. It's one of those things where you sort of get to the point where I, I can kind of go up to here in terms of things I can do, and after that, you just got to let it go and move on. You know, there's, there's other breaches to deal with. We'll talk about those in a moment. 
Stephen, uh, Stephen is here, just by chance, saw you were live, there you go, good timing, was a, a chance, rea- well, the chance scheduling, I should have scheduled it yesterday, anyway, I got up very early this morning and I had time and then I got a busy day, even though it's winter, we're going to go to the wake park, we're going to get out there on the water and enjoy it. Now, speaking about getting out and enjoying things, uh, Tassie. So we are going to Tasmania. In fact, we're going to Tasmania uh, later this month. In fact, we're going a lot of places this month. I'll tell you a little bit about it because that is going to involve multiple techie things in this corner of the world. So we are going down to Victoria for NDC. I think I'm cold here. Wait to Victoria. NDC Melbourne is going to be on, uh, when is that? That's on the the conferency bits, 22, 23, 24 of this month. So that's in a few weeks from now. Uh, it is, in fact, three weeks from now, I will have done my talk at NDC Melbourne. And three weeks from now, Ari would have done his Coding for Kids session as well. So I think I mentioned before, Ari, 12-year-old Ari, is going to be doing another session like he's done in London and Oslo over the years when we could travel for kids to uh, to get their hands on a bit of code, which is nice. So we'll be down in uh, in Melbourne doing that. We're going to go and see some sites uh, around Melbourne and Victoria. And then Charlotte and I are going over to Tasmania. So for those of you from other parts of the world that may not be familiar with this, Australia is the big bit like that, and then there's a little bit, which is an island off the bottom, and that is Tasmania. It is the one state that I've never been to before, and everyone who goes to Tasmania says it is amazing and it's awesome. Lots of sort of wilderness and distilleries and you know natural things and beautiful picturesque mountains. Uh, people are saying, yeah, oh, it's going to be cold. You're like, why are you going there in winter? It's going to be really cold. And I'm looking at Charlotte and saying, she's from Norway. It's not, it's not that cold. It'll be like freezing temperature and that's about it. So... We are going there. Shane is here from Canada. Shane knows about cold. <laughs> That's proper cold. Yeah, Mike, so it is Hobart. So, in fact, we're going to see a bunch of Tasmania. And one of the things I've always wanted to do in Tasmania is have a really good drive in a nice car because people say the roads in Tasmania are epic. We have a road rally every year called Target Tasmania, which is a massive event. Uh, it's always been a bit of a dream to go and do that. We're not doing official <laughs> target Tasmania uh, but we are driving the E63 AMG down so I will have a very nice car to drive around Tasmania on so we're going to be seeing a bunch of sort of the north area and the coast and and Hobart and other bits and in Hobart we are going to be doing a meetup which I have now put on my on my agenda here uh, this is the Asa Tas branch meetup 7th of July uh, in Hobart so, what's that? Just over a month from now. But anyway, that is up there and it's now being published. It's in a brewery, which I think sounds super, super epic. It's a super casual one. I'm not preparing anything. We're just going to turn up and talk about random <laughs> random shit. Uh, random things, anything. There's always something. There's always something. Let me get on to some somethings because I do have some, I, I guess, two data breach stories from this week, which I found interesting. So... The first one, MGM Grand. I think everyone knows who MGM Grand is. Now, they had a, a breach. Data went into Have I Been Pwned, I think, a couple of years ago from MGM Grand. Let's, uh, let's make sure I get my facts right here. 
How many was it? <laughs> I've got so many breaches, I'm trying to go through, I lose track. In July 2019, MGM Resorts discovered a data breach one of the cloud services. The breach included 10.6 million guest records with 3.1 million unique email addresses stemming back to 2017. The exposed data included email and physical addresses, name, phone number, dates of birth, and was subsequently shared on a popular hacking forum, rest in peace raid forum, in February 2020, where it was extensively redistributed. Now, I loaded this into Have I Been Pwned, geez, nearly two and a half years ago, Feb 2020. And then a superset of that started circulating around uh, via a Telegram channel just over the last couple of weeks. Now, just as, as an aside, and I'm going to actually have a look at my Telegram, which is over here. I'm finding that Telegram, particularly as uh, hacking forums such as Raid Forum get shut down, Telegram just seems to be the place where so many people are now congregating and sharing all the datas. And there's a number of different channels here which I've just been sitting there keeping an eye on that are sharing a huge amount of data. And I think it's just fascinating how, and I'm not going to say which ones they are, but there's lots of news about the fact that there's lots of Telegram channels sharing data. But um, it's just fascinating how much data is there and how extensively it is spreading. Why am I in these spam channels? <laughs> how do I get out of this channel? Delete and leave. That was, uh, I do not need a channel on cryptocurrency. Thank you very much. But lots of channels in here sharing data, which uh, which is starting to appear there before I see it in other places or before people send it to me as well, which is interesting. So anyway, MGM Resorts has popped up there. And is that the right word? MGM Resorts, not MGM Grand. Anyway, so this other one's popped up. Uh, 142 million rows which is consistent with reporting of a couple of years ago about there being a larger set of data and only a subset was shared. Now, in there, there are 25 million unique email addresses. And I, I loaded this into Have I Been Pwned as a new breach, primarily because in order to be idempotent, Have I Been Pwned won't send the same person two notifications for the same breach. So, for example, if I load a breach and they get a notification and then I load the breach again later on, they wouldn't get a second notification. That and a few other little nuances, I decided to make it a new breach, and I just called it the 2022 update. Sent, I think, about 100,000 subscriber notifications, 100,000 have I been paying subscribers, went about my business, <laughs> and then, for completely different reasons, I checked my old Hotmail account, and I had a notification from myself, which is, I hate getting emails from me. I hate it. So anyway, I'm in the breach. Went and pulled my data out and I was like, yep, that's me. It was my old Sydney address. Uh, and it wasn't the full address. It was just like the suburb and the postcode. And I haven't been at that address for almost seven years, which has me wondering where was I in the world <laughs> that caused me to stay at an MGM resort. I suspect it was somewhere in Southeast Asia. It might have been, it might have even been in the Philippines or Thailand or I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't keep track of my data. There you go. I've said it. So I got in there <laughs> somehow. And I'll tell you what, I'm pretty sure I never got notified. 
I'm very, very sure I never, because that seems like the sort of thing I'd remember. Anyway, what's there in the comments? Shane always gets a kick when Aussie subscribes. 17C is cold, but it's all relative. I'll tell you what it is, Shane. So because yesterday, or yesterday was the second day of winter, but uh, the radio had this bit going on. I'd also have the radio in the background. And the radio announcer's like, you know, tell us the coldest you've ever been. And there are people like, oh, I was in the Yukon and it was minus 50 and so on. But there are a lot of people saying the coldest I've ever been is in southeast Queensland, where the coldest temperature I've ever seen here has been like six degrees and then it warms up to 17 during the day. But it, it, it's all about what you're prepared for, right? So I think the coldest temps that I've been in have been minus 20-something in Canada, in Japan, in Norway. And that's fine. Like, I've got my big jacket and my gloves and all that sort of thing. But one of the hottest I've ever been is in Norway because I was there in the middle of summer and it was like 30-plus degrees and you just can't cool the place down. And then Charlotte the Norwegian, is consistently saying here that it's cold in this house. And we're sort of walking around going, why is it Why is it cold? And, and empirically, yes, it is, because we can measure all these things now. Uh, and it's things like so many of our doors just have gaps where air comes in. Um, now, we, we knew this was a problem anyway, but you particularly feel it in winter where, you know, overnight we might get down to high single-digit figures of, you know, probably about the usual coldest. And then inside, you're, yeah, call it 23 degrees or something, and you feel that draft come in because the houses are just not made for it. Uh, now, frankly, we need to just go and get some good insulation done, uh, just around door frames and things like that, so we'll do that. But it's what you're prepared for. Shane says, when I think it's cold, someone in the next province overthinks just fine. All relative. Went to Tassie, this is Stephen, back in 96 with school and was really, uh, really nice. Want to go there again? Must have been, never been to WA, the one state I missed. I've had a couple of Perth trips. Um, Perth is nice. I'd like to go to Margaret River and I'd like to go to Esperance and Broome, like right up the top, primarily because it just looks really, really nice and it's in the middle of nowhere, but maybe we'd get there and we'd be bored. I don't know. Tassie will be great. I'll share lots of Tassie photos. Matthias said, uh, did you need to change code in HRBP to accommodate multiple breaches of a single site? No, because I just load them as discrete breaches. Um, the only thing they share is, is the logo. So there's a little column in the database, which is like, what's the name of the logo? So, okay, mgmresorts.png. Oh, I've already got that one. I can reuse that. So there's not really a necessity to have a... A, a link between them. Uh, obviously, logically in our heads there is, but mechanically in the database there's, there's nothing. doesn't matter. There are multiple sites in Have I Been Pwned that have made more than one appearance. Uh, what are the ones that come to mind? Uh, boy, as I spin through these logo, OG Users, there's a good one. OG Users is in there three times, the, uh, the hacking forum. Uh, there are a few others. I think Bell in Canada was the other one I was thinking of. Where's Bell? Yep, Bell, 2014 and 2017. Uh, LinkedIn is in there because of the actual breach and then the scraping. I'm going to have to start paging these breaches or something. I've got 600 plus <laughs> icons on the same page. Might have, to, might have to scale a bit for that. Mike says MGM Grand, Ocean's 22. Yeah, uh, I wonder where I was. 
wonder if I should contact them and ask them. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Other breaches. Let's move on to the next one. This one is making big news in Australia. Uh, I have done many media interviews the last couple of days about this one. And in, in, in a way, I think I've used this term when I've been speaking to the journals. In a way, it's insignificant, and in another way, it's very significant. So in Australia, we have the NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And if you were severely disabled and you needed government assistance, this program provides for people in need. Now, that could be anything from a mental disability through to an injury, through to uh, um, disabilities you've had since birth, whatever it may be. If you need help, this is our like little government safety net. Now, we've got all of these care providers around the country which uh, can provide care to patients and get funded by the NDIS. So when I say care facilities, and I've, I'm just sort of learning a little bit as I go here as well, it might be uh, a medical facility designed to rehabilitate people or designed to uh, treat people with mental health issues or drug addiction or things like this. And we've got a bunch of those around the country. Now, there is a system called CTARS, and, and what appears to have happened is CTARS, first of all, CTARS has had a data breach. Uh, CTARS appears to be the platform by which these care providers enter information about their patients and then go through this process of, I assume, getting funded from the NDIS through there. So you've got a whole bunch of NDIS recipients on this CTARS platform. Now, they've had a breach, which I guess, if, if we start with the good bit, it's it's not particularly large in terms of email addresses. There are just over 12,000. The majority of those email addresses, based on the domains they're on, seem to belong to these care providers, uh, which means that they are employees at these other companies as opposed to being their personal addresses. There are also a bunch of Gmail and Hotmail addresses and things like that. Could still be a care provider. Could also be individuals. The bit that gets, that gets icky <laughs> is that there are patient records in here. And this is obviously information that's been entered by care providers and it's extraordinarily personal. So think about that the different uh, physical conditions, physical and mental conditions, which I've just mentioned, and the sorts of care they might need and the clinical notes that might be taken by the care providers. There are multiple examples in there of people who are suicidal and who have attempted suicide, including details of what they tried to do. There are records in there about people who've been victims of sexual abuse, uh, records of drug use, both illicit and prescription. And it's not a it's, it's not a cleanly structured data set. It's not like a, someone's just run SQL map and dumped it all out into a nice format that we can just import back into MySQL and start querying. Uh, they're all CSV files. Some of them appear to be very poorly formatted CSV files. Hackers don't always format their dumps cleanly. And, uh, and there's just this extraordinarily sensitive information that whilst it doesn't appear to be sitting there like on the same row as PII in terms of like email address, phone number, IP address, stuff like that, the descriptions of the individual's could allow you to identify who they are. 
Uh, so it'll be, and I'm going to make up all these names and places and things. It'll be like, uh, Jenny is feeling suicidal. She tried to hang herself in the past. She's jumped off the building over here. She's been at this hospital on these dates and taking these medications. And you sort of go, if you possibly knew Jenny and you knew that she'd been in hospital and she'd had issues, you could join all this up together. Or if you were in the disability scene and you were connected with a lot of these people and it's talking about someone who is uh, autistic and blind and living in Perth, that might sort of narrow it down. So there's a concern about what is the traceability of the data back to the individuals. And I'm getting the impression, don't quote me on this, (laughs) I know I'm recording this, but I'm getting the impression based on what I've read on the media that CTARS appears to be downplaying the significance. I'll just read what I tweeted, actually. That's probably the, <laughs> probably the safest thing. I tweeted this yesterday. Where are we? Um, there was a news piece here. So it says, uh, CTARS... Dis- you know what? I'll just go to the news bit itself. Because they have dismissed something that I have said. So here's my quote. Now, this is just the way it's been represented in the article. This is a ZDNet article. ZDNet, ZDNet, where are we? All right, here's my quote. It's not clear how traceable patient data is back to individuals, but at face value, it seems highly likely sensitive personal information can be matched to individuals. Given the sensitivity of the breach, I prefer to see CTARS slash NDIS provide more commentary on that. And and really what I meant by that is what I just explained, like the Jenny and the suicide and all this sort of stuff, I would like to see more transparency from the organisations involved here as to what information was exposed and could it be traced back to the individuals. Because I'm literally just reading CSV files here as a person who really doesn't know how the NDIS and CTARS and all the rest of it tie together, looking at it going, yeah, this seems like you could recognise that person. So I'd like to see them create more commentary. Now, it says CTARS dismissed the type of position put forward by Hunt, Troy, although it did state that diagnosis, treatment or recovery of medical condition or disability is the sort of information stored. I just don't feel that you can dismiss that. It, it does not feel like a dismissible statement. Now, this is a, this is a quote in a news piece. We have not heard that in an official statement from them or anything, but who knows. It's the next point, though, which I think, and I made the comment on Twitter that was a bit tone deaf, this next point, considering the sort of data I just explained is in there, this is what really misses the mark. This is their quoted statement here. Health and other sensitive personal information by itself is generally not useful to a cyber criminal, the company claimed. I guess that makes it all right then. Because that's what it feels like, right? It's, it's a little bit like every time there's a data breach, it's just like... Uh, we've leaked your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, your home address, your phone number, your email address, your password, uh, but don't worry, your credit card's fine. (laughs) I can replace my credit card easily. Bank will refund any fraudulent transactions on it. I have a new card in the mail in a few days. I've got to update my direct debits. That's a pain in the ass, but nothing about your credit card is immutable. All the other things, however, are much, much, much harder to change. It does feel like... Intentional misdirection. What's in the comments here? Mike says we're not getting any better at this, are we? So I I had questions from journos to that effect. They're like, (laughs) I shouldn't even laugh anymore. 
I have the clearest rec- recollection since Ashley Madison in 2015, where it was obviously like a massive incident. People killed themselves very, very serious by any reasonable measure. And so many people were like, is this the watershed moment? Like, is this the time where we're going to start doing it better? No, no, it wasn't. Haven't done anything better. Our privacy laws in Australia are very weak compared to other parts of the world. I'll give you a couple of examples. So we, it must have been about 2018, we got our mandatory uh, data breach disclosure laws, notifiable data breach scheme. And there are three things that just always stick out in my mind because this was not long after GDPR hit, which is which is obviously a very privacy-centric set of regulations. And the three things I always remember is, is number one, GDPR, you've got a duty to disclose to the local regulator within 72 hours of discovering the breach. Not necessarily to the individuals, but to the regulator. Under our notifiable data breach scheme, you got a month. It's 10 times. It's not like twice as long or three times. It's 10 times longer. So you've got 10 times as long. Next thing is, is that you do not need to disclose unless the breach is likely to cause serious harm to the individuals. <laughs> now, serious harm does feel like a lawyer word, doesn't it? You know, it's like using the word reasonable. It's very, very open to interpretation. So something like CTARS, you would hope, in fact, there's another clause which covers CTARS. We'll come back to that. But if it's like sensitive personal medical information, it's like, yes, that is a serious problem. But if it's, I always use the example of Cat Forum, real thing, catforum.com. If it was catforum.com and if they were in Australia, you could conclude that no, this data breach is not likely to cause serious harm to the individuals because it's just cats. Who cares? Dog person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just an online forum. But that completely negates the fact that you've got a million people using Cat Forum and 900,000 of them are reusing the same password on every single website they use and everything is stored as an unsalted MD5 hash. You know, people need to know about this. And then the, um, the third one, which I find equally hilarious and upsetting, is that if you have uh, a gross annual revenue of less than three million Australian dollars, so just to put that in context, that's a little bit over two million US uh, dollars. Less than three million Aussie dollars a year, you don't need to disclose unless it falls into that category of sensitive PII and you know the, the likes that we're talking about here. Now that's more than ninety percent of Australian businesses have less than three million dollars a year turnover. So you've now got a tiny slice of businesses in the country that this applies to who then need to self-assess, self-assess as to whether it's likely to cause serious harm, and then they can take a month before they disclose it to the regulator, and who knows how long after that before they tell the individuals. So, you know, catforum.com.au gets popped, and you're probably never going to hear anything about it because you don't have to. It sucks. It sucks. It's stupid. So, no, we're not getting any better at this, Mike. Uh, Matthias is asking about GDPR. I just explained that. The comment was obviously from earlier. Stephen says, there are responses almost as bad as, well, it's bad info, but you'll never have it used against you. Well, and then I thought about Vastamo. Uh, So remember Vastamo, the Finnish psychotherapy site. 
where they got breached. I think this was late 2020 from memory. They got breached, ransomed. Uh, as I recall, did not get the ransom from the company. I think that fact is right. The fact I know is right is that they then went through the individuals who were in that data breach and they ransomed them individually. We've got your psychotherapy records, pay money, or we'll dump it. It's all in Have I Been Pwned. It did get dumped. And that was horrific as well. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of stuff in Finnish in there, but it was very clear that the nature of it was was what you would expect from a psychotherapy service. It's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Uh, so, no, you're right, Mike. We're not getting better at it. Snoozy, I understand maybe a fifth of the terminology is when I am here in Finland. This is such a cozy listen-along still. Ah, oh, good timing, just as we're telling Finnish stories. Incidentally, I'm going to Finland at the end of the year. It's <laughs> just while you're here. You know, scoop. Among other places. All right. Something else. I thought I'd, I was actually going to do this last week, and I, I thought we'd we'd do this together. And I'm going to share this because I think it's a I think it's an interesting story. But I just it just got the sense it's maybe making something bigger out of it than what it is. So I'm going to drop this in the chat, and then we'll go through it together. So the headline here is tough to forge. Digital driver's license is easy to forge. A litany of security flaws allows forgeries that are easy, quick, and cheap. Now, this is about digital driver's licenses rolling out in New South Wales, which is our state about 30 minutes down that way. That is the state that Sydney is in, our most populous state. Now, before I read this and and get into it, and I'm going to try and make it like podcast, vodcast (laughs) friendly without reading every single word in it, Um, I find it fascinating when I have so many things digitized on my phone that we still have plastic driver's licenses. Now, I think that there are all sorts of problems with that. Now, I'll start with the really self-centered ones. I would like to go out and only take my phone and not take my wallet. And for the most part, that's all I do because I've got my credit cards on my phone. That's usually all I need. If I need to go to the doctor or the dentist or something like that, I've got my healthcare card on here, my Australian government healthcare card on here. I've got my private health insurance on there. Um, I've got everything I need other than my driver's license. Now, sometimes I just leave it at home. Anyway, I figure if I get pulled over and checked by the cops, I can can explain it. (laughs) Um, But, excuse me, I do really like the idea of digitizing just not just for the selfish reason, but I'll give you other practical reasons. Your driver's license is very regularly used as a form of identification. So certainly in Australia, if you need to identify yourself just about anywhere, but the most common ones are going to be things like proving that you're 18 or older, not so much a problem for me anymore, but for other people, proving that you're 18. So Let's sort of pick the canonical scary example. You have uh, a young woman. She wants to go to a bar. She has to hand over her physical plastic driver's license to someone at the door. That driver's license has your photo, your name, your date of birth, and your home address. So your home address is on an Aussie driver's license. And you've got some young woman handing it over to some guy at a door. Now, maybe he just looks at it and hands it back. Maybe he goes to the back room to check that it's legitimate because they've got to shine the ultraviolet light on it, air quoting that. 
and this is a concern because there is like let's think about it in a very kind of like threat modeling kind of way uh what do you actually need in order to let someone into uh, a bar you need to establish that they are the person on the identity that the identity is legitimate and that they are 18 or older doesn't matter where they live doesn't matter whether they're 19 or 90 all that matters is that they're 18 and older so we're providing an accessory amount of information for the purpose, which is just to establish that you are who you say you are, your license is legit, and you're 18 or older. So I love the idea of identity proofs, which can be tailored for the context. If it is a police officer who pulls you over, you need to be able to not just prove who you are, it's been a long time since I've been pulled over by a cop, <laughs> certainly for any bad reasons, um, I also imagine it is relevant to what they're doing to establish your home address. So different sorts of information they need, also different risk profile. I trust a cop a lot more than I trust a bouncer at a door. Plus, of course, if it's a police officer, you've got to be able to hand it over or show it to them. I'm not sure where the law sits there without actually giving them your unlocked device to take away. But, of course, we have ways of doing that. <coughs> uh, one of the things that comes to mind is I can easily pull up things like my uh, my boarding passes when I'm flying without having to unlock my phone. The fraud thing. Before we read into this, this is one. Of, it's a little bit like the password manager thing, where look, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be much better than the other option. There is a lot of fraud with identity anyway. Um, We've all seen Superbad. <laughs> we know about forging driver's licenses. We know it is a thing. So physical driver's licenses get forged all the time. So we don't have to get to zero fraud. We just have to be like somewhere around where it is at the moment or better in order to move the bar a little bit higher. <clears throat> now, when I read this headline, tough to forge is actually easy to forge. <clears throat> I guess that what got me thinking is... How is this different to what we have? This is what I want to know. This is often my security argument about any things. Don't tell me how imperfect this is. Tell me how it differs from the other option. You know, is it effectively equivalent or are we actually moving forward? So uh, headlines here is a better mousetrap hacked with minimal effort. Um, when an unsuspecting victim scans the fraudster's QR code, everything will check out. So this is interesting. So you've got to be able to fraudulently create a QR code. The victim won't know that the fraudster, the victim in this case, I assume, is let's call them the authenticator, the person checking the license, won't know that the fraudster has combined their own identification photo with someone's stolen driver's license details. Okay, so this is basically the, the digital version of creating a fake driver's license. Uh, however, DDLs make it possible for malicious users to generate a fraudulent digital driver's license, DDL is a digital driver's license, with minimal effort on both jailbroken and non-jailbroken devices without the need to modify or repackage the mobile application itself. One of the things I've always wondered with digital driver's license, and if you have a digital driver's license, leave a comment because I'm kind of curious to hear your experience, but I've always wondered... How is an authenticator going to establish the difference between a legitimate digital driver's license and a JPEG, <laughs> you know, in full screen? How will they establish that? Will they have to interact with it, for example? 
Will there be a digital hologram which actually moves on the screen? You know, all of these things, they don't have to be perfect, but they're, again, raising the bar. DDLs require an iOS or Android app that displays each person's credentials. The same app allows police and venues to verify that credentials are authentic. And there's, there's another interesting thing here as well, which is when you think about how identity verification is done, let's say at a bar uh, at the moment, they take your plastic driver's license and they look at that and then they look at you and they look at that and then they look back at you and they go, yeah, you're okay, mate. In you go. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. Uh, I would imagine there are some cases where they might put under a UV light or something, make sure it's got the holograms and all the other bits in it. But for the most part, it's very, very simple verification. So if we have a digital driver's license with a QR code, will venues needing to do identity proof have to have the required equipment to be able to scan the QR code or will they just look at the photo on the driver's license just like they do with the physical one at the moment? Not entirely clear to me. Also, of interesting note, and Australia is nowhere near as bad as the US because we've only got really eight states and territories, <laughs> not like 50 of them. But if New South Wales is doing this this way, and then Queensland, we're a bit further behind <laughs> on most fronts. If we get another system later on, will they be compatible? Like if I go over the border or someone from New South Wales comes over the border here and they're like, yeah, mate, here's my digital driver's license. Will we be able to verify it here? Interesting questions. I'm sure someone's thought of this. Okay, so the technique for overcoming these safeguards is surprisingly simple. The key is the ability to brute force the pin that encrypts the data. That does sound surprisingly simple. Since it's only four digits long, there are only 10,000 possible combinations. Someone's doing their math there. Using publicly available scripts on a commodity computer, someone can learn the correct combination in a matter of minutes, as this video shows. Once the fraudster gets access, someone's encrypted DDL data, either with permission, by stealing a copy. Okay, so this is interesting. Let's read this again. Once a fraudster gets access to someone's encrypted DDL license data, either with permission, by stealing a copy stored on an iPhone backup, you got other issues then, I'll tell you what, or through remote compromise, also very unlikely if we're talking about a modern, patched, non-jailbroken iPhone. The brute force gives them the ability to read and modify any of the data stored in the file. So that the thing this immediately makes me think of when I read this is how do you obtain, as let's call them the attacker, how does the attacker obtain this from someone else? And I, I think the first point here, the bit about with permission, is almost certainly going to take the lion's share of use cases. Because phones, you can steal someone's phone, but these days there's almost always a pin because we've got biometric unlocks and it's, why wouldn't you? Uh, remote compromise, extraordinarily unlikely with a modern patch device. Backups, everyone backs up to iCloud. Um, I'm generalizing here, but I would say it's a very large proportion. So the sense that I'm getting here is the most likely scenario is that the person whose identity is being taken is complicit. And then I think there's a good question here about what is their incentive not to provide that to the attacker. From there, it's a matter of using simple brute force software. Yep, we've done that. Uh, decrypting it, changing the text, re-encrypting it, and copying it back to the device. That does feel simple, doesn't it? That feels very, very simple. But the problem is, is that you've got everything by design has to be on the device because you've got to be able to carry it around. You might not have connectivity. You've got to be able to show it to someone. 
Obviously, you want to encrypt it so that it can't be tampered with. Is, is the root cause of this just simply an easily discoverable encryption key or an easily brutable encryption key? And is that the fix? Hmm, interesting. It says death by 1,000 flaws. All right, I don't think we have time for all 1,000. But the first is lack of adequate encryption. I think we've just covered that. Uh, a key based on a four-digit pin is woefully inadequate. Um, the next major flaw is that astonishingly, DDL data is never validated against the back-end database to make sure it's what's stored on the iPhone. That is an interesting point. Your problem remains that in order to do validation against what's on the back end, you're going to need to connect to the back end. Either that, or you start rolling out systems everywhere that have snapshots of it, which, how many driver's licenses would we have in Australia? I mean, we've got like 25 million people. So it's going to be, let's say it's somewhere between probably 10 and 15 million driver's licenses, 10 and 15 million records, some sort of cryptographic hashed version of those on a device that gets shipped out to what, every bar? I mean, you could, you could, I imagine, build it into the equipment police officers have for their verification. But, uh, with no means to natively validate the data, there's no, there's no way. But again, th th this is not a new problem. This is a problem with physical driver's license. There is no means to natively validate the data beyond, yeah, it looks okay, mate. There's no way to tell when information has been tampered with. As a result, attackers are able to display the falsified data on the Service New South Wales application without any means to prevent or detect fraud. The third shortcoming is that using the pull to refresh function, a cornerstone of the DDL verification. All right, so this is what I said earlier on, like is there a hologram or some other sort of interaction? If you have to demonstrate that you can interact with the driver's license and it works in the way you expect, that's good, but is that also not something that you could just replicate? You're an iOS developer. I could, well, I could not have built an iOS app, but I imagine people could implement that behavior themselves. Uh, so uh, where were we here? Cornerstone of the is uh, a better corner be. Oh, a better response would be for the pull to fresh function to download the latest copy of the DDL from the New South Service News as well database. I don't think you can have a system that is dependent on connectivity. There are, look, I mean, the vast bulk of the Australian population is covered by cellular networks. That's fine. But every now and then you're, you're like in a bar underground. My favourite bar in Sydney, there's basically no connectivity there. So what, you, you can't come in because it can't connect to a cell tower? You, you can't make that a dependency. You just can't make connectivity a dependency. Fourth, the QR code transmits only the DDL holder's name and status as either over or under the age of 18. Now, this is the point I was making earlier on. This, this is, in the context of things like entry to a bar, a good thing. The QR code is supposed to allow the person checking the ID to scan it with their own Service New South Wales app. Fair point. You could, your validator, verifier, authenticator, could be another mobile device, another app. So you could say to the doorman at a bar, you need to run this app and scan it. Uh, you wouldn't need specialized equipment. Okay, so you need to scan it with their own insertions of the files up, validate the data presented as authentic, to bypass the check, a fraudster only needs to obtain the driver's license details from a stolen. Well, this is that's the whole point of this article, though, is that you can you can have a legitimate code uh, that has been obtained from someone else. Now, of course, a way of getting around this 
is, and I just figured out the problem with this, a way of getting around this is you could say, well, the digital driver's license has uh, an online version which matches the QR code to the name to the photo, and then the doorman scanning the code with their own service NSW app, when they scan the QR code, it will display the stored version of the photo. And then you can look at the person, look at the photo on their device and go, is this the same thing or not? Still need to have connectivity in order to do that. Uh, And also, what if you've got a twin? Well, then they're the same age as you, you idiot. (laughs) Won't matter. They're still coming to the bar. Someone else who looks similar to you. But again, this is not a new problem. This is the old problem. And you hear all the time, it's like, we've got signs all over the place. I saw one the other day, it's like, uh, using a mate's ID to get into a bar is a, is a finable offence and costs you 600 bucks or something like that. Like, this is, this is an existing problem. It is not a new problem created by the technology. When unsuspecting victim scans the fraudster's QR code, everything will check out and the victim won't know the fraudster has combined their own identification photo with someone else's stolen driver's licence. Had the system returned the legitimate image data, jeez, reading my mind, I swear to God I've not read this before now, the scanning party would easily see that the fraudster had forged the DDL since the face returned wouldn't match the face displayed on the app. So look, I don't think this is a bad thing, connectivity issues aside, and still the same old classic problem of someone who looks similar enough to you getting into the bar. Uh, the last flaw the research identified was the app allows the data it stores to be backed up and restored at all. While all files stored in documents of collection library are backed up by default, iOS allows developers to easily exclude certain files by calling insert geeky code here. The, the problem I would imagine with this is that you, you think about the experience of the mobile device. Just about everyone has got a mobile device these days. Uh, if we pick my parents, who are always the high watermark for me with usability. <laughs> so if mum and dad get a new phone, their driver's license needs to be there. Their apps need to be there. Their accounts need to be there. It needs to be as seamless as possible. If we have a situation where they need to go through complete enrollment processes again, that creates a lot of friction, which puts a lot of the community at a disadvantage. So not doing that has a completely different problem to doing that. With reported 4 million New South Wales residents using the DDLs, the GAF could have serious consequences. Farman noted this tweet, which calls out a hotel bar for refusing service to someone who had only physical ID and instead accepting only DDLs. It's interesting. So someone's uh, tweeted here. Uh, the Stein Hotel. 18-year-old went there last night with three forms of ID and you wouldn't let him in because you don't count a physical New South Wales driver's license as valid ID. Really? I know 10 kids that you let in regularly with fake digital licenses because they are easy to make. No idea. Again, like let's look at it through the lens of how does this differ from what was there before. First of all, The whole idea of only letting someone in as they have a digital driver's license from that state is stupid and that should never happen and that should be legislated against if it's not already. We'll see. There looks like there's some comments from Service New South Wales further down. I would like to be able to go into a bar in New South Wales and I do not have a digital driver's license. Uh, When I have friends visiting from overseas, I'd like them to be able to go in. So I'm sure that that is something which is possibly not 
either this tweet has sort of missed the mark or this hotel needs to clean up their act. As for the 10 kids that regularly get in with fake licenses, that's not a new thing. <laughs> like that's, that's always happened. All right, we're nearly at the end here. Then I'm going to look at the comments here as well. Update. Service New South Wales has responded with the following statement. This issue is known and does not pose a risk to customer information. It doesn't pose a risk to the disclosure of customer information. It poses a risk to the integrity of the system, which is not inconsistent with the risk to the integrity of physical driver's licenses. The blogger. I hate it when they call people the blogger. Remember when someone did that to Scott Helm? I think it was when he was doing the, the Nomex um, secure mail thing and they'd always refer to him as the blogger and it was obviously meant to be condescending and disingenuous anywho the blogger has manipulated their own digital driver's license information on their local device no other customer data or data source has been compromised you're kind of missing the point definitely missing the point it also does not pose any risk in regard to unauthorized access or changes the back-end system such as drives I assume drives is a system of theirs Importantly, if the tampered license was scanned by police, the real-time check used by New South Wales Police, scanning MobiPol, would show the correct personal information as it calls on drives. This is all uppercase drives. I assume it's an acronym for something. Now, this comes back to the point before where I said, look, at least the cops have got specialised equipment. You, know, you could do those checks. So I, I think they're sort of downplaying some of it. They're kind of missing the point, but they do make a good point where it's police validation. Look, at the end of the day, I don't mean to be all liberal on this, but if the, if the extent of the risk is some people getting into a bar when they're a bit too young, just not, just not sure that that is a net negative in terms of the overall system. Upon scanning the license, it would be clear to law enforcement that it has been tampered with. Then you're going to have bigger problems, I'll tell you that. Altering the DDL is against the law. Jeez, I'm calling these ones. The DDL has been independently assessed by cyber specialists and is more secure than a plastic card. The first part of that, I hate that term, DDL has been independently. Do you know how many data breaches are in Have I Been Pwned from companies that have been independently assessed by cyber experts? More secure than the plastic card, I, I suspect is possibly correct i don't think i don't think it's going to be less and we, we've got to be clear even using the word secure this this is largely an integrity question can we trust the integrity of the digital one more than the physical one or the same interesting interesting let's see what the masses have to say uh snoozy says interesting but then again what if someone steals a car then they'll take the phone too. But will you? Will you be able to unlock the phone? Do you need to unlock the phone? Or is it, you're going to go back to my point earlier, where you should be able to access this with a locked phone. Uh, and also, if you do, unless the thief looks very much like the victim, it's probably not going to get you far. Matthias says, uh, will this be something, something blockchain story? I never saw the blockchain mentioned, which is refreshing. <laughs> Max says, QLD, Queensland, my state, has ID scanners in Brizzy and data is uploaded to private company server. Wonder who's responsible for breach. Now, I assume, Max, that you're talking about not digital driver's licenses, but just uh, scanners of your... Now, you, you know, 
shows are often actually going to a bar these days. I went to uh, it was more of a nightclub, probably about six months ago, with some friends, and I do remember a system that looked like it recorded the license. Someone can chime in here if I'm just missing stuff, but there seems to be something happening. <laughs> at these venues where they're recording entry. It might have to do with abusive behaviour and so on. Shane says, still easier to sign back into a new device and presumably resync accounts than having to go through the whole process of getting a new piece of plastic in the post. Uh, that's a fair comment too. That's a fair comment. I guess the difference here is that how often have you lost your driver's licence? Uh, our driver's licences last for five years, at least here in Queensland. I don't think that I have, I actually, I might have lost one like 20 years ago, but not in recent memory. My only memory of having to actually deal with the issuance of driver's licenses is uh, either when it expires or moving state, which again was like seven years ago. So having to reissue a physical one is very, very rare. makes me wonder actually what happens to your digital one after five years, because you, you get old, right? <laughs> Your photo changes. Like, do you have to go back into here in Queensland? We're going to main roads and get a, a new one. Shane says, also, can remote wipe a device where you couldn't do the same with a wallet? Now, that's a very, very good point. Uh, a good upside to this is that if you lose your phone, you can remote wipe it. Uh, so long as it's actually connected and it can, it can hear that command, which is a phone. It's got cellular, probably. And then you can go get a newer phone and you can just restore from that. And then there's this question of whether your license comes with you. Wonder also if you've only got a digital driver's license and you're in, let's pick Norway. You're in Norway and you've got to show your ID. Will they accept that? It's interesting because that's all you'd have. Stephen, almost like we need some system where person has an ID key and the other person bar can see the photo and greater than 18, true, false, and copy see the info that's needed. That seems to be the way this works. Seems to be the way it works, which is sensible. Snoozy says, the only problem is that you can't call help if this makes the crooks want to pick your phone up. Shane, this doesn't strike me as a problem unique to digital identities. I, I agree with you, Shane. I think a lot of this is just a problem in general with uh, with identities. Uh, Snoozy says, interesting topic. The dystopian sci-fi stuff is becoming reality. I still get the mindset, though. I, but, I mean, this doesn't feel... This is not like 1984 kind of tracking and monitoring all the people and all the rest of it. Uh, this doesn't seem to pose any risk there. And if anything, this is a more privacy-centric model because you're not handing over your home address when you go into a bar. I actually feel that this is a better, a better model privacy-wise. Good discussion around integrity, better model privacy-wise. Why didn't Service New South Wales respond to the bit about weak encryption keys? Because it's basically what it is. It's like weak encryption keys. That kind of feels like the heart of what... The, if you could solve this problem, the, the core of this entire article disappears <laughs> and you're basically left with a completely different discussion. Uh, Matthias says, the equipment to scan a QR code is called phone. Yes. Yep, yep, good point. 
Mike says, sounds like MiFi cards are, are being used. My fair cards, are they the ones you you swipe on like the underground in the UK? I'd always just swipe my credit card there. But anyway. Um, Snoozy, I also have to say, I appreciate how fancy Troy's setup is. <laughs> Such pristine quality. This was like my spend before the end of financial year. Oh, geez, must have been two years ago. Um, there's more going in here, actually. There's more stuff going in. There's definitely more stuff going there. I have been busy. Uh, it'll happen. I'll share it. But it's um, this space is going well. I'll share a lot more of this later on when I get some time. Shane says, didn't they solve this with digital vaccine cards? The records were digitally signed by the issuer, not local to the device. I just need to hack into a public health agency candidate for the key. It does seem like a higher bar, doesn't it? Max, part of the lockout ban system, but a private company runs it. And Matthias says, uh, oh, this is the scanning of the driver's licenses. Okay, interesting. Matthias says, uh, my DL is 21 years old, and so is the photo in it. Same with Charlotte's. So her, she's got an Aussie one as well, but she's got, still got her Norwegian one. So apparently they never changed the photo. And I'm like, you're still young and good looking, don't get me wrong. But eventually, age and gravity will take its course and you will look very different to the one on your license. He's like, no, we just we just keep it. But I guess eventually they'll go digital anyway. And maybe it'll still be the same old photo. Steven says, once went to a club 10 years ago and they scanned your driver's license and took a digital fingerprint. So next time you could just enter with your fingerprint. Felt dodgy as hell. I once went to China and they did this. Well, actually, every time I've gone to the US, they've done the same thing too. If you're from the U.S. and thinking you've never seen that before, when you're a foreigner going into the U.S., it's like, yep, scan your, scan your fingerprints. All right, okay, so where are we at with this? I think we have concluded that this is a different set of issues. The main issue is just this integrity one, which is not a new problem, but it does seem like there is one fairly obvious way to start addressing this. Now, I, I don't know what that would mean if you had to effectively like roll encryption keys for 4 million existingly existingly <laughs> existing issued driver's licenses one more thing i promise to talk about this week someone asked me a question sent me an email and i thought this is actually a pretty good question so rather than sitting there writing even more email than i write already i will answer it this week now it's a longer email but i just saved the bit which was relevant to the discussion here which is i have the following question in your opinion, would using privacy slash security slash pen testing tools like Linux Tails, Black Arch, or Kali get you flagged as a possible criminal? What about using the Onion router to see exactly what kind of information about myself is being sold out there? I thought this was a good question. And it's, it's one that I think many of you are probably jumping to conclusions on, as, as I did as well, because we might live a bit more in this world. But for someone, I, I sort of got the impression maybe this is someone who's, let's say they're a technical person, but not necessarily in infosec industry. Relevant question. So we'll do the first bit first, because I think that's the easiest. Uh, Linux Tiles, Black Arch, or Kali. Uh, Linux distributions pre-packed with security tools. Um, Using them, no, <laughs> will not get you flagged as a possible criminal. You can literally spin up an instance of Kali Linux in an Azure VM. You can go to the Azure Marketplace, give me an instance, bam, Kali Linux, complete with uh, SQL Map and what else is in there? Uh, Nmap, uh, a whole bunch of other 
infosec related things all built in burp suite and things in there so they're all in there now that bit's fine <laughs> what do you do with it next so this is this is really the key if you spin it up and you use it uh, beef is in there as well that's the other thing that was always cool another story if you spin it up and you use it to uh, test your own software good on you hack yourself first big fan of that no problems if you use it to test the CTARS NDIS system, that's very bad. Now, whether you do that with Kali Linux or whether you do that by putting or one equals one into your username, both those things then go into the space of trying to find vulnerabilities in someone else's system by probing away at weaknesses, and you are starting to get into a very gray area. Uh, and that is a spectrum. You know, the or one equals one is like, eh, not so bad. Uh, the pointing SQL map at their system and sucking out all the data, very, very bad. So, no, you're not going to get flagged as a criminal by downloading this software. If you start to do nasty things to other people's systems without permission, that's when you start running into problems. What about using the Onion Router to see exactly what kind of information about myself is being sold out there? Well, this is kind of what I've been pwned is for, and you don't need Tor either. Um, I'm not sure if the question about the Onion Router was in order to obfuscate your identity or if it was to see what is available on tour so let's answer both questions if it's to obfuscate your identity by virtue of the fact you're saying you want to obfuscate your identity before you do this and this is not about privacy in so far as you're doing something legitimate and you just don't want to be traced across different things this is clearly like i want to try and not be found <laughs> doing something that might be a bit naughty problem if you're talking about, I want to use it so that I can go onto the dark web, air quoting, uh, that, that's not the way I'd go about it. I, I, I would literally just go to have I been pwned, vested interest I know, or go to another data breach service or something like that, or go and pay an identity theft provider or something. That's what I'd be doing simply because whether it's a Tor hidden service or whether it's a public hacking forum, uh, public, well, it's Tor, it's still public, whether it's a clear web hacking forum like Raid Forum was before it got knocked off, just going to that forum is not going to find your data. It would be a matter of going to that forum and then going and starting to find data breaches and downloading data breaches and trawling through them. That's what I do. <laughs> and that's in Have I Been Pwned, so you can go and do that. So I'd, I don't see any benefit in doing that second thing. All right, other comments. Scott's here. <laughs> F12 is hacking. As soon as I saw F12, I wasn't thinking about keyboards. I was thinking about Ferraris. But anyway. Um, now, there was something before that. Uh, Shane says the obvious next step is to self-submit your own DDL photos every few years. Uh, <laughs> QDL photos with duck-faced dog ears, filters, and there's a probably a good reason why that doesn't happen. Uh, Germany tried to outlaw hacking tools, Matthias says. That never... <sighs> Never really works, does it? It's like outlawing F12. Uh, no. Uh, Samir, what happened to that domain you were given that was mining crypto using ad, CoinHive? Let's answer the question. What has happened to CoinHive? The last time I checked CoinHive, it was still ridiculously popular. So I'm just going to log into my Cloudflare dashboard. I can't remember the actual number. I, I have been tweeting these. Uh, and it would be interesting to go back and have a look at what numbers I'd tweeted before. But I had kind of hoped 
that as I tour foam my way into Cloudflare, I'd kind of hoped that CoinHive would get down to sort of like pretty much zero. <laughs> and it's just never going to happen. Like it's always going to have people using it. Uh, when I say using it, being the victims of it, because it's embedded in so many different places. And I even got really obnoxious with it a little while ago where you can't dismiss the model that I pop up and people still keep going there. I, I, and I don't know why. Um, Okay, so let's look at unique visitors. In the last 24 hours, about 23,000 unique visitors. If I look at the previous 30 days, that is a really alarmingly constant volume. 493,000 unique visitors, but it is constantly between about 23,000 and 25,000. doesn't deviate outside those those, uh, that range. Why is it so steady? Wow, that's really, really interesting. All right, I will look into that. There's, I have got a blog post in draft about what's happened. i just got to figure out a good narrative for it. Mike says, FYI, for anyone in the UK, I'm working with the government and other bodies to get changes made to the Computer Misuse Act of 1990 to protect researchers doing the right thing. Hit me up for personal info. If you want Mike's personal info, hit him up. I'm sure that's what you meant. Shane says, let's do nonagenarians decide national infosec policy what what's a nonagenarian it sounds like someone really old anyway look i've been going for almost an hour and a quarter here so i'm going to wrap it up there i hope you found this interesting i actually learned a bunch myself about those digital driver's licenses uh i think that's a really interesting topic so um maybe when they come to queensland and we get them here i'll actually spend a little bit more time talking about it and writing about it until then i think they're uh, on balance a neat idea with an opportunity for improvement, and I'm glad New South Wales is dog fooding at first. Thanks, folks. I'll see you later.